Welcome to Science of Business podcast by Valueships. My name is Radek and together with experts from various industries, we discuss new research pieces and their application in business life. If you're a manager or you want to be up to date with science that can be applied in your work, this podcast is made for you. And we are live. So welcome everyone to another episode of Science of Business podcast. Uh, and today with me, there is uh, Mara Suter, um, my, my very, very close friend and a designer in uh, from Design Thinking, a graduate of this school. Um, and this is where we met. Actually, I was super impressed by the fact that you can learn design thinking um, in more than a weekend in actually a few years <laughs> program. Um, we will be talking about design thinking um, today and trying to get beyond that. So there won't be any um, basics. We will try to understand what's deeper inside design thinking. And um, just to start off to warm up with a very, very easy question, I wanted Mara to ask you, is design thinking more about process or about mindset? How do you see what is more important in, in this? Well, Radek, thank you so much, first of all, for having me here. I'm super excited to talk about design thinking and going beyond the basics today. And about your question, is design thinking more about process or about mindset? I'd say both. So, of course, we cannot go into a design thinking project without having the right mindset of being curious, wanting to explore. But... Um, we have this process that puts together a set of methods that create the frame allowing us to actually have the mindset. So, you know, you can't just tell um, someone be creative now and then that person will have <laughs> a creative mindset. It's not the way it works. So what design thinking basically does is putting together great methods that allow this mindset to unfold. That's that's brilliant. Actually, <laughs> it twists a bit uh, a bit my plan for this conversation because I wanted to focus more on the mindset. But actually, what might be beneficial is to figure out how to combine the mindset with the methods. So how to um, embrace creative spirit using different uh, different tools, um, and maybe we will achieve that. Um, I had a great paper on my mind that I shared with you also earlier on. It's so Social Psychology of Design Thinking. And just for our audience to um, brief you in a little bit, uh, this is a paper from 2020, Lee Thompson and David Chantel. Uh, they wrote it for California Management Review. And basically, this paper is summarizing some different social phenomena that occur in, in design thinking sessions. So right now, mm, my idea is I would just brief you in about different research pieces, different um, phenomena they explained, and, and let's discuss how does it appear, how do you challenge or embrace them in your, in your sessions, in your uh, design thinking practice. Ready? <laughs> so ready. <laughs> oh. All right, all right, awesome. So um, the very first one, is that our intuitions are often incorrect, something that we uh, probably struggle to accept, that um, in many ways when we assume, assume something, it's not necessarily right, and then dropping our assumptions is really a hard process. So mm -hmm. um, 
the question is, I know, you know, from my weekend school on design thinking, <laughs> I know it's it's quite important to see things from the freshman eyes. But then, um, mm -hmm. like, if trying to figure out how to actually do that, um, mm -hmm. you cannot just, you know, shake off your assumptions. Like, they're always there in your head. So I wonder, during your sessions, how do you support people to let go of what they have in their mind, what kind of approaches they have? Mm -hmm. So I think, first of all, when it comes to assumptions, it's exactly um, what you've said, Radek. So you, we can't just shake them off. Like, it's the way we navigate through our world. Like, if we wouldn't have any assumptions, let's say, about danger or putting also people into categories, we couldn't live. It's basically our way to survive. So we cannot shake them off and just decide not to have them anymore. That's not possible. So. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> <What> we, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even if we try, you know, have a freshman's eyes and looking at uh, problems from a 360 degrees view, it's still super tough. So what we do in design thinking is that we deliberately put down all the assumptions that we have. So the first step is that we become super aware of what assumptions are there and we note them down. And then we go out and we actually test them. So I guess that's the big difference. So we're not oh. just sticking with them, but we are formulating them. And then we ask ourselves now, how can we test if this is true? And that's what we then do. Wow. This already answers to the second uh, social <laughs> phenomena uh, that I have on my list, which is that uh, we are not always aware of our assumptions, of our worldviews. So writing them down makes you aware of them. And then challenging them, uh, testing them, is making you sometimes maybe lose them or sometimes maybe just spread them a bit when, when you're so certain about, um, about something. And here, uh, just a very, very interesting uh, piece that I will just scroll through uh, to some of my la last things. What, like There is an interesting practice from, I think, from IDEO. Uh, they were building um, a new packaging for um, pills uh, for people with uh, arthritis. So for people who have some challenges to open the, um, the box of, uh, of medication. Um, and they went to uh, interview the customers, the users of, uh, of those medications. Um, and one lady says like she has no problem with opening them. Um, like basically it, it's super simple for her. So they asked her to, to show how, how she actually does it. And she took a knife and she cut the, the lid off with, with, uh, some butcher's knife. Uh, and she got so used to this, uh, approach that she, um, yeah, she, she basically didn't consider there is a problem with the packaging because she had her own solution that she used for, uh, for years. But so I don't want to ask you now about how do we observe the, um, the customers, but actually from the design thinking practitioner, we also have such tools. We also have such approaches. And I wonder, you know, over years of practice, I think you have four, five, uh, I, I, I stopped counting, but, you know, over time when you keep on doing those projects over and over again, how do you challenge yourself not to get stuck to your hammer? to your methods of, uh, of solving things? Yeah, so I guess what we use in there, it's um, actually one of the basics um, for design thinking projects. And 
um, I, I guess it's a simple trick. We work with a lot of different people. So um, when we set up a design thinking team um, in the very beginning, so we'd have, I'd say, four to seven people. I like to work with five or six. And we make sure that all of the people in these projects come from a very different background. So each person in the design thinking team brings his or her own hammer. And um, when hitting actually nails, we first have to decide whose hammer is the right one to use right now, because mm. the base of design thinking or one of the basics is to really collaborate. Like we really sincerely collaborate, which means we basically do everything all together. Okay, sometimes for interviews or so on, we might separate, but then we're coming together again. And I guess one of the, what makes a really good thinker is that you challenge each other and you're able as a design thinking team to integrate all the different views. Mm -hmm. So it's a, yeah, collaboration is a completely different story when you're just all psychologists or if you're psychologists, engineers, and so on. You have to actually explain all the steps you're doing because your opposite won't understand why you're swinging that hammer. Wow, this, this brings me back um, to the process. So, um, mm -hmm. and, and blowing my mind as a facilitator a bit, the way I work when I have some creative problem to solve and I'm not using design thinking most often but just you know simple uh, diverge converge in, in any way just to find a solution mm -hmm. but is that I'm always proposing my set of tools so this is the way we will create ideas this is the way we will uh, choose the right uh, result and then we will have a result and and from what I'm hearing I understand that you sometimes also negotiate this part with your team so you try to include them in thinking about the process, not only about the problem. Wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, there was an inaudible nodding for our Sorry. <laughs> listeners. <laughs> well, no, no, that's cool. Well, yes. Um, I think what we really need to do is to get this 360 degrees perspective into our projects and that's what will make it successful and when we'll be talking about maybe also challenges later on and when we bring design thinking to companies um, it's one of the big challenges that we are maybe missing this 360 degrees perspective because in one company everybody might have a similar background but we would want to have as diverse teams as possible. And as a coach, of course, I want to profit from all the different expertise within a design thinking team. Mm -hmm. That's super awesome. It's it's a bit challenging. Like I, I would maybe ask you um, how to do that without losing the drive. So, you know, without over negotiating over complicating because like sometimes it comes probably from leadership perspectives like sometimes you need more authoritarian sometimes more more democratic or laissez-faire leadership depending on the time pressure and blah blah but in, in generally what, what sometimes frustrates me at the, as a team member is when i'm asked about everything when when i don't mm -hmm. really care i don't want to be included and then you know so i wonder how do you <laughs> challenge this trade up when, when there are um, too many questions to be asked to your team. 
Okay, so I think we have to differentiate in here between working with design thinking novices, people that haven't worked with it before, but they might be um, experts on the subjects or, you know, um, chosen people within a company to work on a certain topic, but they're actually not experienced with design thinking as a methodology at all. Then on the other hand, we have very well-functioning design thinking teams that know the method and um, they actually work with it quite a lot. And I think these are two completely separate cases and I'm a completely different kind of coach in each of the cases I'm working with, right? Um, so in general, when I work with a team within a company, maybe it's also worth touching responsibilities just a little bit. Um, let me know if I'm going too far off topic here, but... I'd say the team, they're always responsible for the content. As a coach, I'm always responsible to facilitate the process and the company or, yeah, the company is responsible for the frame. So giving us a room and budget and so on. But then, of course, you have some overlaps because the company also has to be in line with the content and my methodology has to be in line with the content. and. So when I have a very novice team that isn't experienced using design thinking and I coach them, then it's mostly also working with humans and taking them by the hand, guiding them very slowly through all the methods. And um, it's also a change process. So it's very much at the same time. So if I want to actually solve a problem that might also be emotional and at the same time use this completely new framework, that's really hard. So I guess in this case, I wouldn't let them decide on met methods, I guess. But in that case, it's more a making sure that they also feel comfortable with the methodologies that we use and that the methodologies to a certain degree fit the mindset within the company because if i bring in a method that's maybe you know <laughs> involves a lot of moving around and colorful post-its and maybe also you know we always have the example putting grip bricks on top they might look at me and say i'm not doing this everybody will laugh at me yeah. okay <laughs> yeah. i get it you have to find a way that um you challenge them, you bring them into this this mindset, but it can't be too far out of the compass. Enough of an answer for me, I think. So, so what I'm taking is that you kind of <laughs> empathize with your team. So it's it's very kind of you use design thinking just for setting up the team you will be working in in a way because you you understand them better, and then only you create the process. That's uh, that's what I'm taking. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> All right. Com yes, exactly. Coming back to the random <laughs> research pieces, I have another one on um, uh, thinking beyond the borders. So there was um, a research where um, the participants were asked to figure out a solution to a particular problem uh, related to cancer treatment. So um, they were presented two strategies. Are, either you use too little radiation and then you cannot really defeat the tumor, but the healthy cells around it are 
okay, or you or you hit it hard with a lot of radiation, you kill the tumor, but then um, the um, the cells surrounding it are also killed, and 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 there is a risk of of other damage in your in your body. So. So this is the problem that the participants of the research were asked to solve. And then only 10% of them has proposed and asked if this would be an option that you just use the little radiation several times. Only 10% thought, okay, maybe there is a way we can actually um, cure the patient without, without harming the cells. Um, and, and yeah, the majority, yeah, let's, let's damage the cells. That's the only way. So basically... We kind of set the borders. We set some whatever problem we solve. We build it around some boundaries um, that when they are there, um, you think within the boundaries. So in this way, there was two solutions. Okay, it's 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 a, a problem of, of alternatives. So I choose the one that actually makes a change instead of figuring out what else can I do. Um, and I wonder how do you avoid that without being very ambiguous in setting the problem because you also want to solve some business case you want to help the company but but probably avoiding losing some great alternative that would come from very free approach to the problem how do you manage this trade-off it's a big topic <laughs> um especially when you go in with clients that already have quite um you know a view of what where they want to go um, I think, first of all, it's really important to set the stage and make sure if design thinking is even the right method, because design thinking needs to be open for whatever solution is there, that could come out, right? Am I going in the yeah, right direction so, so here? Is like that first it, it should be ambiguous to some yeah. level. And then where is the boundary? <laughs> this is what what is interesting to me <laughs> as, you know. yeah where is the boundary like let's say it's really not interesting for um me to propose a million dollar project to a client with a 100,000 um mm -hmm. dollar budget right um so this is what often happens right but i think what's um important in here is that you first create all the solutions or you even think about all the solutions um, so you don't limit yourself from the beginning so when you ideate mm -hmm. you don't think about any limitations you want to move limitations completely out of the way so in case uh, of the example that you named we could for example um, reverse the question and ask ourselves not okay so how can we um, get rid of just the cancer without touching the healthy cells we could be turning that question around and ask ourselves okay how do how can we harm as many healthy cells as possible mm -hmm. then brainstorm I'm getting yeah, going yeah. into detail yeah, that's good. on the that's methodology awesome. that I could propose in here. Yeah, so um, afterwards you'd be we'd be turning uh, around the solutions again, and then we might come to the solution of actually hitting the cancer in many different ways, possibly. So we're using really a lot of methods to not think about borders and constraints. And what we do then is that we choose ideas 
with constraints. So we would actually, in a design thinking project, it's not unusual to actually come up with 500 to 1,000 ideas. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's a nice uh, <laughs> estimate and something I didn't know. I, I thought my 12 ideas are usually good enough to start with 500 to 1,000. <laughs> No, yeah, what we do is really we put quality beneath quantity. So we're going to we're going for quantity um, with the theory. So there's a link between quantity and quality. Actually, if we generate 1000 ideas, chances are much higher that the right one, the best one that is also okay with limitations we have is going to be in that set of ideas. So we really try to generate as many as possible and we're not discussing them. We're just generating, 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 using also the principle that every idea counts and don't judge. So we're really going in every direction because if I have an idea that's really sucky, someone else might have an idea that's really good based on that idea. So we also deliberately ask, what would you do if you'd have a trillion dollars? What would you do if you'd had all the political power? What would you do if you were Google um, to solve this problem? So we really try to expand the room for ideas. And then we have all these ideas, like I said, up to 1,000. And then we look at limitation or limiting factors. We might have talked to the client or, you know, the CEO or whoever is, is, is whoever is actually um, deciding on which plans, which ideas we will follow later on. So we're creating kind of um, these limitations and we're writing them down somewhere and then we're checking, okay, which of, which of all these ideas that we had pass our limitations and then we reduce them to maybe 20 or 30 or the 20 or 30 best ones and then we build prototypes upon those we write down again what assumptions are in these prototypes and then we go out and test them and then we reduce the number again or we open up again so this is how what we would do and it's not only budget, of course. It can be. It has to be a digital project, a product. All right. And and like since you mentioned ideation and creating as many ideas as possible, um, there is another interesting uh, phenomenon written in in this um, research piece, which is about the amount of ideas generated and generally individual involvement in in the process of of different people that are in the team. So basically. The authors were citing different um, articles, different research papers, um, which had um, the same result that the more people, the less individual involvement um, in, in the creative session. So basically, um, big group creativity doesn't really doesn't really work. And then, like brainstorming, let's not talk about that because that was <laughs> already uh, talked upon too much. But I just wonder about this amount of people like do you have any limitations did you notice that if you have i don't know 24 people in in a design thinking session it um, suffers in terms of quantity or quality or individual involvement how do you work around the numbers of people mm -hmm. 
I guess the number of people you'd have again is, of course, depending on their experience with design thinking as a methodology and also on like how many coaches you put into a room. I do like to work on design thinking projects or like especially in early stages mm -hmm. of an adventure. It's really cool to have a lot of people. What so I'm thinking two things you have to do. So one of the basics that we basically use in all of the stages of design thinking we talked about brainstorming but even in the very beginning or when we collect research questions whatsoever we are very much relying on that principle that um, individual work brings out more ideas so where whenever we are starting with something we take I'd say five or 10 minutes, depending on the task we're at, to just write down individual notes before we discuss it. So this is always the first step, because again, we want to have these multidisciplinary 360 degrees view on whatever we're doing. And when we discuss loudly from the beginning, we're already putting the discussion in a certain direction and I don't want to lose the engineer's thoughts just because the psychologist talked first so first of all it's always individual mm. writing down what I think for everyone yeah. in nearly every step all the methods mm, that's cool And then we share and discuss and compare mm. and check, okay, are there contradictions or are there things that are similar? Yeah, to, to be honest, like I know the, the rule, mm. the just the brain writing technique also, but I never treated mm. it as a like universal rule that always applies in a way. It's something that you keep close in your heart and, <laughs> and whenever you have any session where ideas come into place, You make sure people first write them down. I think that's a, that's a great outcome also for uh, for the future I'm thinking. Yes, it's really great. And then um, this, the second thought I had when working with um, big groups, what you can really nicely use, especially when you want to make this room for inspiration and ideation bigger, is that you can switch them up. So you start with maybe, you know, groups of three. So you were talking 24 people. So I would have groups of three, um, different one of them. And then in an ideation session, or you'd start, you know, with all the research and so on. And then when we'd come to ideation or prototyping, I'd constantly switching people from team to team. Because, again, we can explore more. Every person brings his own hammer. So you're building maybe the three of, uh, or a group of three, they're building their prototype. And then you have a make it better session with a person from another team. And then you turn, ar you turn around for several times and you can really improve on the concepts because again, as I said, you, you bring more hammers. <laughs> so I think it's a really great chance if you have a lot of people. It gives a lot of drive and um opportunities cool, cool. one mm. one research piece challenged um and here is another one <laughs> so yeah <laughs> well maybe let me just 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 add that of course 
when I, I never work with 24 people all together, I'd always break them up into smaller mm -hmm. groups of three to six or seven people. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, like I'm taking it as a concrete outcome, something to consider when you're group dividing people, like how big of a group it should be. That's really cool. Um, and about the research piece I was mentioning, so we, we kind of covered um, quite thoroughly the, the process of ideation, the, um, the earlier stages, um, but didn't touch upon that much on the prototyping. And, and then I realized there is one, uh, one thing I told you earlier on, this illusion of transparency, um, which is, so, so there was a very funny research on, on students, of course, uh, where they were asked to wear uh, some very lame T-shirts, like the, the worst T-shirts you can find on on, uh, on the market. <laughs> um, and then they were asked to come to an exam and they were purposefully made to be late to this exam. So they entered the, the room when everyone is, is there already. And then what they were comparing, the researchers, was how many people noticed that person coming and the T-shirt they had and the assumptions of that person. Like they thought everyone was seeing them. They thought everyone noticed the t-shirt. They thought everyone thought it was lame, but actually no one cared in a way. So, <laughs> so <laughs> um, like this in the, in the scientific paper, this was a part of a longer uh, story about how do we think we know what others think and how do we um, present our ideas and we think we are clear but we're not that clear. Um, mm -hmm. And I wonder, yeah, how do, how do we challenge that in design thinking? And I'm especially curious because I think this goes to everything. This goes to marketing, this goes to uh, sales and whatsoever, like to even, even a job application. We always tend to think that the people will understand what we mean. And, and in prototyping, yeah. it's probably the most challenging. How do you address that? Yeah, it's really interesting now because <laughs> in design thinking also we tend to like our own ideas the best. And I think that's just because we also understand them the best. It <laughs> really reminds me of the example you brought. So I understand my own experience. I understand my own thoughts when I have an idea and I prototype it. So I'm just assuming the others um, will have the same processes, whereas it's absolutely most of the time not the case. Um, so it's really important to test ideas, to test prototypes. And that's actually the goal of prototyping. Or let's put it as one of the goals of prototyping is that we make an idea testable. And um, of course, when you then go to potential customers, users with your prototype, um, it's also very human to then um, <laughs> actually talk for 80% of the time and listen for 20% of the time. And you've learned nothing because basically you just explained your prototype to someone else. <laughs> and then in the best case, in the end, you ask, okay, you, you also think so? Did you understand? And then you're... <laughs> of course, I think so. Like, how yeah. else could I think now? <laughs> so. Yes, exactly. So what we are trying to do in prototyping and testing um, 
is exactly the opposite. So basically a good prototype doesn't need to exp to be explained and you just hand it to your user and let them interact with it. And what we use for that is a strategy called think aloud testing. So basically we are asking the person we are testing with to speak aloud everything she or he is thinking. And we're basically just noting that. And it, in most cases, it's very surprising <laughs> and not at all what, what you'd expect. And then you iterate upon that. The tough part, of course, um, for especially new design thinkers is then to not explain <laughs> when, when, when your user is interacting with your prototype the wrong, mm -hmm. wrong way. So basically there is no real treatment to that. <laughs> I mean, we will keep, we keep on thinking or understanding more what we created than our um, users. Or is you know is there any way that I can design it better over practice? Anything I can do to learn more? Well, I mean, you don't like so when you build a pro a prototype, it's basically a piece that makes it make that enables you to learn. So you don't have to know everything yet when you build it. The trick then is that you go out with your prototype and you're like a sponge sucking all the information from different people and then you learn and then you improve. And again, here a crazy number may be okay. So you don't iterate for two or three times, but it's rather 200 to 300 times until you're actually at a finished product. So it's always building, learning, building, learning. And you get better and better and better. And you might then um, also very not practically <laughs> notice that um, some people might tell you one thing and other people might tell you something else. <laughs> yeah, it, re it reminds me like, so what I hoped to get was to have a solution into how to um, reduce the testing budget from any marketing endeavors and, and because basically so um re i'm working on a conference right now uh and what i did was i put the date of the conference in the conference logo so it's out there like right in front of you but that's the only place where where the date is and it appears over and over on the page and everywhere and then people started asking me, like, okay, Radek, when is this conference <laughs> happening? So, you know, because it's it's not <laughs> a usual place to put the date. Like, it should be some some separate uh, space, right? So yeah. um, I learned, mm -hmm. I adjusted, I adapted. So so now it's it's better. Um, but, yeah, what, what I was trying to understand is if there is any way to, um, yeah, to know better, <laughs> you know, to to get so skilled in explaining that you... Um, when when you create any communication of anything, it, because because basically, I understand that's what's the final stage of design thinking. We have something that really is adjusted to people that they can work through without, you know, a guide of hundred pages to start with. And and yeah, and I'm searching mm -hmm. for for a speed run, but probably the lesson is 
You were asking how we reduce the budget for testing. And of course, we have in the earlier phases of the design thinking process, we already do our research. Um, and I suggest not to reduce the research to just interviews, but actually also um, do observations see what's out there see i mean you touched that with the um with the woman cutting open the mm -hmm. medicine bottle right so we would not have figured that out in a pure interview so you also want to observe and to immerse so actually stepping into the shoes of your user before you actually even come to ideating so ideally when you come to prototyping you already have quite a good understanding of how your user acts what language they speak um, what are their problems how their world looks like um, if they prefer basically a um, very modern page or something very traditional you already have assumptions for all these things we put these assumptions in personas and then we design for personas but basically a persona is just a summary of assumptions we have about um user yeah. choices or user characteristics and prediction on how they will behave but if we base our ideas on that persona of course that already gives us a direction for design And then, um, so that's the first thing. So do your research and do it well before you even ideate and don't ideate into the blue, actually ideate for your user. So that's the first principle. And then the second one is like test early and often and test as cheap as you can, <laughs> right? <laughs> Like. So before you pay a graphic designer to actually develop the logo and before you build the entire page, maybe you can have a simple drawing of the page and ask people, so <laughs> are you attending? And then they'd already ask you, okay, yeah, but mm. when is it? <laughs> so keep it very simple and then just do two or three tests. It can be a simple drawing, right? People are very scared of that because in our society, we always only want to show yeah, finished something things. Something beautiful, but we start quick and dirty. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's empowering. Awesome. I'm, I'm checking my list of um, random research facts, and I think we have uh, covered them all. Um, so I have one more question I wanted to ask you, which is, you know, another another simple Uh, question, which is basically, I realized in, in, in many in many areas of life is that okay. So we have training, we learned a lot, and again, I just cannot uh, emphasize my um, my love, my, my sincere love to the to D school, to how thorough they are in teaching uh, design thinking, not over a weekend, but over years. Um, but still, I think some things come from practice. Some come from practice. Some things you realize through your mistakes, maybe. And I wonder um, about such stories, about the things that you realized and learned in time of practicing uh, in your actual projects, if you if you can share. <laughs> 
Yeah, so, <laughs> okay. Not all people love design thinking. I know that comes as a surprising <laughs> fact, but, <laughs> but it's true. Um, when we work with design thinking, um, we work with humans. And I think that's one of the most, mm, most important things I learned over the years. And we've touched upon that. So basically, you have to empathize with who you're going to working with first, mm -hmm. because you're out in the world. Um, you're not going to meet only design thinking enthusiasts. You're going to meet people that in a lot of cases, or at least with a lot of clients I've been working with, are in a mindset of we are doing what we're doing and we've been doing it since 100 years and they're really, really good at doing what they've been doing for mm, 100 this years. This fixed man mindset. Exactly. Kinda. Fixed mindset, the value of quality is very is mm -hmm. measured very very high and quality you prove quality when you say i've been doing this for a lot of time so that's in a big contradiction to what we do in innovation because in innovation we do something completely new that has never been done before so these mm -hmm. mindsets really clasp right when you go out into whatsoever company that's really good at what they're doing but they're just not very good at doing something new because they maybe haven't done something new for quite a while and then you get into those situations that okay now this company is under a big pressure to change um we have this pressure building up, let's put it, put in some words like, you know, sustainability that's raising big, big pressure to innovate, digitalization mm -hmm. that's raising big pressure to innovate, corona crisis that ra that's raising big pressure to innovate. So basically we have these companies and these people that now realize, okay, we need to change but they don't actually want. <laughs> They're looking for, for solutions to change without changing. <laughs> How do you address that? So most importantly is that you realize that when you bring design thinking into a company, what you're actually doing is you're going into a transformation process. And transformation for mm -hmm. me, it always starts with the people that are actually ready for that. So one of the principles I really use is that I only try to work with volunteers, even within a company. So people that are actually excited, we could also call them first movers and that we take away mm -hmm. more time. This is another contradiction. So design thinking is sometimes thought to be this method where you fix problems in a weekend, but it's not. Um, if you bring design thinking to a company that is very traditional, you will need time. And it's really important to mm -hmm. make that clear to your client in the beginning. So you take the right people and then you actually take them through a process of change, giving them more and more methods mm. but also maybe bigger topics to work on and i wonder any estimations about the time so like you know is it three months five years or and how how regular like 
every second day, every week, every month, you have you have some session? How mm-hmm. does it usually go? Or? So there is a company I'm with for, I think, three years now. But is it the same project, the same? It's um... not the same project for all the time, but basically in this case, the project became also to make the entire organization more agile, more able to mm-hmm. actually invent things and to change and to also make their work more efficient. So what we do in these cases is that you have like pilot projects. Um, So you take certain topics, you work on them, but you also want the people involved in the project to bring the new Mm. mindset to the company, right? And Okay, yeah. yeah. Just just wait a second. (laughs) A a little bit of... Uh, appreciation for a mind being blown so i realized so basically you can use design thinking just to create innovative culture inside of organization and then people can work on better desks or or you know better better space in in their office or different different problems they have like everyone has Uh, but basically you get people accustomed with with the process, with the iterations, and and mm-hmm. then and then you actually create this culture. Yeah, and the okay. very first Don't outcome I might have after a weekend or a couple of days is that some of the people I've been working with go into the next meeting and they use uh, silent brainstorming what we've discussed and <laughs> and post-its and then a structured way to actually discuss a topic. So that might be the very first thing we can see when bringing design thinking to a company. Um, and also, so m- maybe another very difficult thing then when we speak pilot projects and bringing design thinking to companies, it's that Um, You need to make really sure that there's change happening and that it's fast. And that's very difficult. But if you fail at this point, acceptance of design thinking and these newer methodologies within the company will, will fail. Like it's already kind of sometimes a fight to get it accepted, right? And so you need to show that it will be better for the people working there if you use design thinking. And that's where a lot of design thinking processes, transformation projects fail because we are working solution open, which means we don't know what is coming out in the end. And also my work as a design thinker ends when actually the tough part implementation starts. So it's really my job to make sure that projects or ideas are also implemented in the end, which is really this crucial point. Mm. Yeah, but in the end, like it, it is solution open, but then that should be a benefit for the employees because that means, okay, we are not here to tell you how you will work. We are here to listen to you how how it should be and then we will design it together so you will be included and we'll make sure your needs are addressed so it's in a way in a way it's good that that that, that is the good point but we still end with a pro- with a prototype that is tested but it's still a prototype design thinking 
doesn't mm. or the the result of design thinking is still an idea it's nothing finished so mm -hmm. it's really it's really hard so you come out with this great idea everybody loves it let's say okay we will have this new um cafeteria place within our company and it's going to be great because people can work there and it will raise collaboration and everybody loves it and then you bring it to um the decision making people within the company and their answer is also oh yeah we love it okay <laughs> great we'll do it and then the next question is okay we'll put it in our budget for 2025 because that's how the traditional organization works And then mm -hmm. um, years pass and the drive is taking out of, you know, the, the idea and then people get frustrated and then you have to fight against this. Oh, that was just mm. another workshop where actually nothing happened. Yeah, mm. I'm, I'm thinking this is very close to general educator, facilitator work mm. is that, you know, we, we not always are in in position of power to um, make sure that the things are changed and i wonder yeah what are your, what are your practices do you do anything around it do you have some processes kind of follow-up processes mm -hmm. that uh, support the organization in implementing the ideas yeah. that were created so first of all um, even before we start a project i make sure that the decision makers within the company are aware of that and that they have headspace and budget for mm -hmm. things that might come out. That So it's not enough when the decision-making people tolerate design thinking projects or think it's good that we're doing design thinking now. So we're up to date, right? Our company is doing design thinking now. It's really cool. That's not enough. So we need the leaders of the company to also be enthusiastic and mm -hmm. to wanting to invest their time into projects. If that's not a given, so tolerating change within the organization is not enough. We need leaders that really also want to support change with their time, with their attention. We need them as a backbone. Otherwise, I can't see success. If they're not with us, that's not possible. And then I'm integrating them into the project um, at certain points. Like, for example, we'd have 10 ideas. We want a prototype. I bring in the decision makers, the CEOs, whosoever, and I actually have them prototype, co-prototype the ideas with us because we've had this. If they prototype the idea with us, They will mm. love it <laughs> because yeah. it's been their the own. IKEA effect. <laughs> yeah, and then in the end, and then in the end, I try to have people responsible for the products, uh, the ideas chosen. So I try to have some people out of the staff and some decision makers paired up and saying, "I take responsibility for this project." And if I don't find people that take responsibility for a project, it's dead already. That's mm. in the end how how <laughs> I choose yeah. to which projects should be continued on. We need those drivers, those cool. movers within the company. Yeah, I I, th I think it's the same for education and 
and and some something I can honestly um, claim I fail in is to make sure that there is someone responsible for for the follow up, for the implementation, for the uh, transfer of skills, whatever we we have a training and feedback, motivation whatsoever to make sure the managers are in line and and um, will do some activities to. Um, to support the employees in implementing. Yeah. And how can you as a trainer support them to implement and get barriers out of the way? If you do your two-day workshop and you leave, it's going to be really difficult to see real change, I guess. Great. I have very last question. And in your description and in your uh, expertise, um, there is a fact that you're a psychologist, that you are a trained psychologist, which is not always a case in design thinking, I believe, since it comes also from, from arts, from, from engineering. And I wonder if there is anything else, if there is something that you use from, uh, from your training in design thinking, something that um, adds to the general toolbox. Mm, well, I mean, I guess, as I said, like design thinking is working with people. And I guess my um, bachelor in psychology does help me there. But I don't know, like picking special theories apart. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it really comes down to just working with people, empathize and, of course, using all the interview techniques and all that of course that's a toolbox that i can draw from mm. yeah well actually <laughs> as far as i know you have plenty of of different interview methods to uh, to choose from that's a good starter <laughs> and this empathy i'm i'm, I'm kind of trying to to grasp the essence of this mindset and um i wonder if this attitude towards people isn't the most important one to um, to grow, no matter if we call it empathy or even beyond empathy, just generally, you know, being a good human yeah. <laughs> or, or whatever, just it feels like when you figure out humans, you figure out design thinking as a process, you can um, design it well. If you fail in the first, you fail in the latter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree on that. And I also want to ask, uh, to add uh, upon it that um, we think of empathy as something you either have or you don't. So either you're empathic or you're just not that person. But I want to very much disagree on that and think of empathy as something that you can train, you can learn. Um, if you have a very curious mind and we're going back on that mindset topic, right? Um, you really want to learn about other people and you're trying more and more to understand them. I, I think it's something you can learn and you can really also grow into. So it's not just this thing you're either born with or not. It's, uh, it's, it's an attitude and it's a technique also that you need to learn if you want to be a good design thinker or design thinking coach. Wow. And, and let's close yeah. it with this final advice. So thank you very much for taking your time to talk with me about research on design thinking. And 
yeah, <laughs> we're gonna see each other um, soon. Right now, I'm closing Mara Sutter, innovative teams founder, design thinking practitioner, and a yoga teacher I didn't mention was with us <laughs> Thank today. You so Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Science of Business podcast. Follow Value Ships on LinkedIn and Facebook to be up to date with future episodes and live streams from the recording.